0: Turn with me over to the book of 2nd Peter We're going to continue our series on faith What it means to have our faith alive, active How we can make it matter here on the earth We're going to look at 2nd Peter Chapter 1 We're going to read <clears throat> Verse 1 and then verses 5 through 10 2nd Peter 1 Verse one, then verses five through ten. Peter is writing, and he says, "Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ." Verse five. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence, knowledge and in your knowledge, self-control and in your self-control, perseverance and in your perseverance, godliness and in your godliness, brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness, love verse 8 for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted having forgotten his purification from his former sins, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Lord, help us as we study. Peter is writing to a number of churches that need some encouragement. This letter was passed around to a region of churches, not just one individual. And it's the second letter that Peter wrote. And I I think it's interesting that he starts off with the idea of faith. He says, I'm writing to you who have the same kind of faith as ours. I don't think he's talking about just an orthodoxy that was passed down to them from one person to another, meaning a belief system you can go on a church's website and you can find out what they believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, rose again that he's evermore seated at the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit is the resident Lord of the church, we believe in the 66 books of the Bible as being the inerrant word of God, all those things are extremely important critical to knowing how to live well and who you can trust in terms of theology, but I don't believe that's the faith to which Peter is only referring. Indeed part of it. But I think he's talking about a faith that not just intellectually assents to a belief system but a faith that actually lives. A faith that makes a difference here. A faith that changes reality. A faith that does more than just stamp your ticket to glory to make sure that you're going to heaven and not hell. Now that's good. I mean, I ain't going to be mad at anybody that has that kind of faith. Glad on you. But I want to make sure that your faith has some application here? Because you've got to live here for a little bit. God blesses, it's going to be a few decades before you go to glory, huh? Then something about your faith ought to matter here. So Paul, Peter says, I'm writing to people who have the same kind of faith as I So what kind of faith did Peter have? The kind of faith that had on-the-way miracles... You know, most of our faith, when we come to the reality that praised, uh, that we face uh, every day, is destination faith. You know destination weddings? You don't get married till you get there. Destination faith is that what you don't use till you get there. When I get to church, then I'll worship. When I get to the mission field, then I'll preach the gospel. When I I go to William Waters or when I go to Yorkshire Elementary, then I'll serve somebody. It's not on-the-way faith. It's destination faith. But Jesus said in Mark 16, on the way, as you are going, preach this gospel to all the nations. Peter had the kind of faith that was on the way, not just destination-oriented. So while he was going to the place of prayer in Acts chapter 3, he saw a guy at the Gate Beautiful as he entered the, the city of Jerusalem. And this fellow at the Gate Beautiful had been lame for many, many years. And Peter had seen him many times, and so had everybody else, begging for money for his own support. Peter said, today I don't have any money. It's not that Peter was poor. It's just today his kids had emptied his pockets. Any parent understand what I'm talking about. He said, silver and gold I have not, but what I do have I give to you. Get up and walk. Now, that wasn't planned. There was nothing about that that was scripted or choreographed. He just happened to be on the way and he noticed a man in need and said, my faith can apply to your situation. How, how's your faith? Do you have on the way faith? Peter said the same kind of faith as ours. Peter was a man who spent so much time with God. <laughs> this, I, I, I want to get here. I want to get to what I'm about to say. He spent so much time with God that he's the only dude in all the Bible whose shadow did miracles. I don't get that. I mean, we have enough time with our flesh doing miracles. The real body doing... His shadow did miracles. The only way that can happen is if Jesus is oozing through your pores. You spend so much time with him. You love him so much. You want to obey him so well, accurately. That somehow, just when you walk by, the sun hits you and the shadow that you cast from the aura of your presence. Nothing about new age. I'm just saying a word. Nothing about... (laughs) The aura begins to affect this person. Oh, my goodness. Same kind of faith as ours. So on the basis of that kind of faith, he's saying, when you got that kind of faith, for this very reason, apply all diligence to add these next things. Now your faith needs to be great. It needs to be that which is constantly engaged in helping you and seeing you face the world well. There are circumstances that we just can't control. Stuff that comes to us, storms of life, trials, situations. We can't stop that stuff. It's just going to happen. But we can begin to determine how we face them and how we react to them. And our faith should be engaged at all times rather than us beginning to always cower, there's a knee-jerk response you've got. There's a way you've always reacted to certain stimuli. When you hear bad news, you feel the sinking pit in your soul. It's, oh, here we go again. Rather than, oh, God, what are you about to do? Now, please don't feel condemned that if your initial response, your knee-jerk, is the, oh, here we go again. I'm not mad at you about that. The issue that you need to to fix is what happens next. Because Adam still lives in us a little bit. That bent toward making sure that sin is realized and fulfilled in our life. That tendency to want to be selfish and want to go the wrong way and want to do the wrong thing. Sometimes the flesh just responds. And we haven't lived long enough and practiced diligently enough to train it to respond in a knee-jerk way according to the will of God. So until you get to that point, when it does respond poorly, your response to your ill response should be this. Wait a minute. Wait, that, that wasn't right. Wait, 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 wait. That that wasn't, right, that wasn't right. I remember my Bible. I remember Pastor Brett preached on this just last week. My Bible says this. And then you begin to rein that horse that's going the wrong way. Back into the line of God's perfect will. And you say, no, soul, we're not going that way. We're not doing that. We're going to believe our God. Simply because bad news came doesn't mean bad news is going to happen. This can work out for, for my good and everybody else's if I believe. And if the circumstances don't change, at least you do. You become more like him. I'm not talking about a pie in the sky, heavenly, pie in the sky, earthly manifestation of everything going exactly right. Doesn't happen. But at least I begin to stay right. And the more I am right, the more I can face my challenges and please God at the same time. That's what my faith does. My wife and I will rein one another in. Say, no, no, we can't say that. We can't believe that. We got to stand here i got a buddy of mine who's going through some physical challenges on the phone with him every day. Saying God has good things for you. Stand in faith. Don't let those things of how you're feeling or what the doctors tell you begin to determine the way you're going to go. You stand in faith and know what he has said. Because before you had these circumstances, you were believing this way. Don't change. He said he was taking you over here. What in the world does a storm have to do about that? disciples Jesus said we're going to the other side right. go they got in the middle, of, the middle of the lake middle of the lake and the storm came and all of them said we're drowning we're going to perish I mean this storm was bad and Jesus was sleeping in the hull, sleep in the middle of the storm the disciples were bailing as quickly as they could getting the water out and they looked at they looked at Jesus sleeping thinking what's wrong with you don't you see we're all about to go down that includes you get up and help <laughs> That's what they wanted to say to him. Finally, Peter, the only one who was bold enough to rebuke Jesus, gets up and says, do you not care that we are perishing? I imagine Jesus was aroused something like this. Got up, stood on the bow of the boat, went, That's our version of hush, be still. The winds became calm and the sea at the same time. Then turned to the disciples who were sitting there going. (laughs) Uh, Just jaw dropped, not knowing. Uh, uh, He said, where's your faith? In essence, I said we were going to the other side. Before you got in this circumstance, I said that. So what did the storm have to do with what I said? Where'd your faith go? And then all of them said, who are you? Who? What kind of man tells the wind and the sea? Who? This is the kind of faith that Peter's talking about. And this is the kind of faith that is resident on the inside of you, though you may not have yet expressed it it's down there and he says to that faith we need to apply some things, now the title of this message is faith additives faith additives your faith needs to have some things added to it it's not just about doing great things that are spectacular, sensational testimonies that you stand up and say only God could have done that, that's good, that's great Make sure they happen. But it's not only that. God wants you to be a charactered person. And so to your faith, you need to to have some diligence to add these things. Number one, he says, to your faith, add moral excellence. Everybody say moral excellence. He did not say moral mediocrity. He said moral excellence. How's your moral life? how's your morality how are you dealing with the opposite sex how's your tongue do you have a problem with lying morality is much more than just sexuality it's, it's how you deal with people it's, it's the, the, the practicing of fairness at all times it's the compass on the inside of your soul that is always pointed due north moral excellence Christians ought to be morally excellent not just morally average not morally mediocre morally excellent you who are heavily involved with the person of the opposite sex intending for something more serious how are you handling that relationship fornication is sin does it mean that you all shouldn't be together not going there but it does mean there's a way you should be together need to hold one another in high regard fornication is sin sleeping with someone outside of your marriage is sin sin before and sin after both ways sin you want to please God? practice moral excellence and you have to determine what excellent is I don't know where to draw the line in your specific relationship and am not trying to figure it out you ask the Holy Spirit where the line ought to be drawn whereby you're keeping one another Right. Moral excellence in your business. Do you cheat? Do you fudge the numbers a little bit? Do you tell the bank a little in order to get that loan? Moral excellence. All the things that I just said and more are those which which evidence our lack of faith in God to supply for us. If we have to fudge on the numbers as business people, we're not trusting that the Lord can provide for us in the midst of our circumstance. He knows where we are. And the Lord can move on the, on behalf of people. Oh, listen, we went to nine banks before we ever found out, found somebody who would give us a loan on the present building we're in. Not. And I was sitting there was saying, well, can't we say, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going. We're going to tell them exactly what our numbers are. And I'm going to go in there and inspire them with faith. And somebody is going to give us a loan to get in this building. We just didn't stop. Moral excellence needs to be applied to your faith. Because if you have moral mediocrity, at some point it's going to show to everybody. And then you're going to deny with your actions that which you believe in your head. And people who who see you are going to say, "Mm, see, yeah, they ain't no real Christians. Moral excellence. To your moral excellence, he said, you need to add knowledge. Broken record, Brent. Read your Bible every day. Read your Bible every day. Read your Bible every day. You know, the only way you can get the kind of knowledge you need in order to battle the enemy well is to read your Bible. Now, you can battle the enemy better if you just come to church which you're at today so good so you've got some ammunition you can take and and work with but that's only better and better is relative to where you are this version of better is supposed to be in addition to what you do monday through saturday it's not supposed to be your only supply so whatever better means to you my hope is that it would be on top of all the armament that you have built all week long that allows you to battle well against the enemy and the thoughts that he puts in your brain about either God's unfaithfulness or your doom. Every day. You need to get in this Bible and read it to figure out what God has to say about you because what he has said about others, he is saying about you. There are specific circumstances, surely, that you won't go through and that apply to people specifically at that time, at that place in the Bible. But you can draw principles out that allow you the privilege of saying, if God did it for them, he can do it for me. You can find yourself in these scriptures, but if you don't read your Bible every day, it's going to be hard to figure out in this next circumstance through which you go, how in the world do I respond? You need to read your Bible every day to your moral excellence. Add knowledge. To your knowledge. Add self-control. I don't like this one. <laughs> I just don't. I, don't. I don't like this one. But, it, but, it, but the fruit of it is beautiful. Beautiful. I'm a guy... Who believes that that the whole purpose of, of of entrees is to be an addition to dessert? That's that's the that's the stuff you got to go through to get to dessert. That 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 dessert is the only reason for me to eat. I love desserts. I love German chocolate cake. It's moist. And got that frosty with the the pecans in it, and it's sugary and (laughs) caramelly. I'm sorry. I'm having a moment. (laughs) My daddy was a dentist. My mama was diabetic. Are you feeling me? (laughs) Are you feeling me? (laughs) My daddy was a football coach. uh, uh, Youth football. He was my football coach. And <laughs> were you there? Were you there? <laughs> he was my football coach in the seventh grade, and and we were required as as a team to raise money for the youth league, and we did it by selling candy bars. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You go door to door to sell a candy bars. Well, my dad was a dentist. He came to the league and said, I, I can't have my children selling candy bars because it's a conflict of interest (laughs) the more people eat that the more they got to come to me I can't do that I can't endorse that the league said you're fired (laughs) yeah they fired my dad as a youth coach because he wouldn't sell candy that gives you a picture of what was not in my house Oh, I was emancipated when I went to college. (laughs) Free at last. Oh, I love desserts. In 2011, I ate not one granule of sugar. Not one dessert. Didn't put sugar in my coffee, my tea. I don't even drink coffee. My tea didn't even have it in my cereals. I didn't eat my Lucky Charms nothing because I wanted to get healthier I counted the number of days over my Christian life that I fasted it's been about two and a half years I haven't eaten anything now nothing of this is testimonial as to how wonderful bread is it's just talking about how important self-control is to our lives and I, I I didn't like doing any Not a bit of it. I loved eating, and especially desserts. And God was telling me, Brett, you're in this thing for the long haul. You keep doing this sugar thing, it's going to mess you up. And I I said, Lord, you you mean sugar is bad for you? (sighs) Really? And it is. I looked it up. It is. (laughs) It is. It's just bad. It's just it's just bad. There's nothing good about sugar. It messes everything up except my taste buds. Self-control. And now I'm measured in my I, I eat sugar on the weekends every once in a while. I'll have a dessert. But otherwise, no. I don't like this one. But it's good for me. You need to add it to your face. You need to learn what it means to say no, not just to stuff you desire, but especially that stuff that's sin. I'm not going there. I'm not watching that. My Internet is blocked in my mind because I'm not going to go to that spot. Self-control. Over your mouth, what you say, self-control. It means to control yourself. I know that was difficult for you. (laughs) To your self-control, add perseverance, which is an addition to the self-control meaning you might have a moment where you say no but you have to have that moment last you have to endure you have to patiently decide i'm going to live this way i'm going to endure for a long time until he returns jesus said he who endures to the end shall be saved there's a sense of our 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 progression in picking up our cross and holding on to the principles of self-denial we have, to, we have to do that every day. And you have, to learn, you have to learn to enjoy your cross. You have to learn that one of the favorite things you get to do every day before you, you get out of that house is make sure that your cross is in tow. Oh, don't want to leave it home today. Lord, I'm bringing my car- cross with me. It is painful, but you have to learn that it must be one of your best friends. Perseverance. I choose to go through this unfortunate circumstance, and ordeal of life where I must deny myself and love my God. I choose to do this as a lifestyle, not just as a moment. The only way I'm here is because I just say yes every day. I, I am no different than you. The fact that I am a pastor automatically marginalizes me in, in, in thinking that you all believe I've got this superpower. I live in a world that none of y'all really live in. That somehow God is special to me, more special than he is to you. I'm just a dude. I'm just a dude. And every day I got to get up and say, okay, we're going to do the right thing again today. We're going to do the right thing again today. Every day. And for 32 years, by the grace of Almighty God, even though I don't feel like it every day, I press in to do the right thing every day. So I add perseverance to my faith. And to your perseverance, godliness. Godliness is piety. This sense that people can describe you as as holy without being described as weird. They they don't know how they don't know how to say holy. But they know how to they, they know what's different when they see it. I had one of the greatest testimonies of my life happen this week. My son is at Virginia Commonwealth and he's in the drama department down there. He's an actor and he's he's I'm proud of him, he's doing well. He's got some other acting friends in the school there who are Christians. And they came to him on Thursday and said, "said tell us, you, we're, we're Christians. We, we love God. But, but we notice you're a different kind of Christian. He said, you, you don't cuss. You don't drink. You don't sleep with women. Implying that those Christians who were speaking that had issues (laughs) FYI that's not normal for a Christian to do if you're doing that you're not a normal Christian you're abnormal unapologetically you are abnormal you need to change, you need to repent I beg you, do it I beg you, repent and begin to honor God with your life I don't have time to go into drinking. I'm not saying drinking's all bad. I I don't have time. Just be wise. That's right. That's right. They said, "We want to be like you. Can you help us?" What do you do? You're you're really you're just different. Anybody ever said that to you? Anybody ever said to any any unbeliever any Christian who's marginal in their obedience ever said, what do you do? That's godliness. That's the stuff that people can't see on the inside but evidence on the outside. There's a purity there that's undeniable that is not relegated to the clergy. It's just what good Christians ought to be, godly. To your godliness, add brotherly kindness why? because it's just not about vertical, it's just not about relating to God properly, it's about also relating to people, so if you're going to be godly, if you're going to honor him and make sure that things are good up and down you also have to add the fact that you've got to be really good to people Jesus said the greatest commandment Matthew 22 is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart mind, soul, and strength, second is like it attached to it, inexorably tied to it love your neighbor as yourself so there's no way to love God without with all of your heart without loving people. Brotherly kindness, where there is Philadelphia. We need to treat our brothers and sisters with unusual kindness and commitment. We need to figure out what it looks like to go past defense when we get hurt and, and forgive folks. God has given you a lot of gifts, salvation being primary along with the Holy Spirit in there because He's a regenerator, all those and many other gifts. But, but one gift we forget is the gift of forgiveness. Yes, and, and, and we forget it's a gift because we receive it and we almost assume it because we understand God's character to be so patient. And so we even go into sin knowing that He's going to forgive us afterwards. Yes, you do. Let me tell you something. I, if, if proof, if you knew He wasn't going to forgive you afterwards, would you go into it? How would you respond then? What would you do if you knew hell was going to open up immediately? <laughs> upon your next sin, what would you do? We understand God to be our God to be a forgiving god that's that that's why you live so loosely. <laughs> he's amazing. He's so patient and kind. he is amazing he but it's not just that which we get in terms of forgiveness as a gift. It's also what we give. Good, sir. Forgiveness is not supposed to stop with you. It's supposed to continue on. Yes. You're not the reservoir where it ends. You are the river where it begins. Right. And so it's, it's something that you get to receive and something you get to give. This is how relationships stay together. We forgive. Mm-hmm. Brotherly kindness. We reach out to those that don't have. We understand what it means to, to bless the less fortunate. We are kind to even evil men. Amen. Brotherly kindness, that, that, that which allows us the privilege of loving our, our foes. Those that don't like us, have ill intent. Jesus said, bless those who persecute you. Everything about the Christian faith is aggressive. Aggressive, aggressive love, aggressive forgiveness. Aggressive kindness. Everything about the Christian faith. It's it's not about just not doing wrong. You think you've done something if you haven't done wrong. And we Christians are really messed up in this respect. We think we need a pat on the back. I didn't sin. Oh Jesus, I didn't sleep with her. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. you. (laughs) Woo! I had victory today. Oh, that was okay. I didn't go out with the guys. Yes. (laughs) Ha ha! Well, the kingdom didn't advance through that. <laughs> N- nothing, got, nothing got moved down the field. The ball was not... We didn't gain any yards. You just didn't lose anything. And, and, and the reward that you think you, you're receiving is simply not having the consequences for doing wrong. That's all the reward is when you choose not to do wrong. There's no pat on the back. By the way, i said this before the the only the only people who are when 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 you when you have two contestants on a field and and neither one wins but the game is over what do we call that and who are the only ones that are satisfied with ties those who thought they were going to lose so if you're really happy about not sinning that's because you thought you were going to lose and people who always think they're going to lose, we, we, we have a, we have a, we, we call them something. Losers. <laughs> Don't be a loser. Simply because you haven't done wrong. Doesn't mean you've done anything right. Now, not doing wrong is better than doing wrong. But we are called to be people that advance the cause of God in the earth brotherly kindness gives us the privilege of loving those aggressively who don't like us rather than not slapping them back rather than retaliating rather than saying that which we want to you know that, that, that little quip you weren't as quick as you should be in your mind the day before but you have meditated all night about what you're going to say <laughs> all night about what you got. You, your long commute has really primed you as soon as you see that person. Ooh, I got something to say to them. <laughs> yeah, how about I love you? Aggressive. Brotherly, and to your brotherly kindness love, which is agape, that which is unconditional in our love for God and our love for people these things are additives now he says this when we do this and and these qualities are increasing in our life it's not just one time but they need to be increasing when we do this we will never stumble if these qualities are yours and are increasing you will never be useless and you will always be fruitful so you will be on God's short list. He'll say, what, what what, needs to be done and who do I have? Okay, that and him. And you will be on the him or her short list. Because you will always be fruitful. And you will always be useful. Whenever God tasks you with something, you will get it done and you will get it done well. And he says, if we continue in this way, not only will you be useful, not only will you be fruitful, but you will never... <laughs> How about that? You won't have to concentrate on not doing wrong. You'll be doing right so much. You'll be doing so much right that wrong won't even come near your doorstep. You will never stumble. Never. I would like not to sin. I'd like not to sin. I I haven't perfected that yet. But I'm making sure that these qualities are mine and are increasing so that I can get to the place where I don't fall down. This is what you need to add to your faith regularly. The character traits that allow you to live with a foundation that takes you higher than you ever thought you could go in God through your faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I love you. I thank you for what you're doing. Please bless these dear people. Give us the privilege of living at a high level in obedience to you.